Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, in the house, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Listen, if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. Got a fascinating topic for you. I know it's going to resonate with our listeners all over the world because we've done similar topics in recent months. And so many of you are listening and clicking and downloading. And we so much appreciate you making this one of our most popular Game Changers series. So let me start, as I usually do, with the buzz. I found an article on Forbes.com one of my favorite research sites by a gentleman named Bernard Marr. Let me just read you two little sentences that will set us up nicely. He says, data matters to every business, so it follows that every business needs a data strategy. Just let that sink in for a second. So what are we talking about? A data strategy can be looked at like a blueprint, okay? You've got a company. We're going to call it an enterprise. If you're a big company, small company, startup, legacy, you've got an enterprise. And you need to have a data strategy for your entire company. So we'll call this an enterprise-wide blueprint. What's so special about it? It is tailored to your organization. You have circumstances. How did you start? What's your industry footprint? Are you intruding into new lines of industry? Are you a digital startup? Are you a latecomer? Are you an early, early adapter? adopter? What's your culture? What's the maturity of your data? This blueprint is tailored to who you are and where you want to go. Now, what's happening with companies with good digital strategies, data strategies? Every industry is being disrupted by companies that know how to do this. That's right. This is a good kind of disruption. Maybe not for your company if somebody's taken your market away, but it is for companies that want to go and expand and survive and thrive. So companies that are harnessing analytics, very important tools, and executing data-driven management strategies are capitalizing on their data. They're making it actionable. They're making it useful. They're gleaning insights. And guess what? They're getting profitable and more profitable, and that's helping them drive innovation. So I have a panel of three experts who are going to help us look at what is a data strategy, how can your company develop one, and what do you want from this? You want a first-class data strategy that's all your own for your company. So welcome, welcome, welcome again. We're so glad you could join us. And a shout-out to a lady named Dana Corder at SAP who helped put together this wonderful panel. Let me tell you who my three experts are, and then I will ask each of them to introduce themselves. So first up is Patrick Schwerdfeger. I'm pronouncing that right. Let me spell it for you. If you want to look him up, if you want to Google him, S-C-H-W-E-R-D-T-F-E-G-E-R. He's the founder at an organization called Trend Mastery. He'll tell us all about it in a moment. Joining us also from SAP is Olaf Kexel, K-E-X-E-L, a solution advisor in SAP platform and technology. We fondly call that P&T. And rounding out the panel also from SAP. SAP is Tom Rabbit. He spells his last name R-A-B-B-I-T-T. He's a vice president, global analytics and insight center of excellence at SAP. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Patrick, why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about who you are and what this topic means to you. Patrick. Yeah, sure. Thanks so much, Bonnie. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, Thank thanks you. to all the listeners who are joining in. This is an exciting time, and I, I've been following technology trends uh, since 2006, uh, and it's really kind of accelerated, of course, as technology has accelerated. So along the way, you know, early on, my fascination was actually with social media and the opportunity mm-hmm. with Internet marketing, digital marketing. But, of course, that involves data from start to finish, and the whole thing just started to accelerate, and the big data revolution started in 2012, really, 2011, but it really accelerated into 2012, 2013. And then the IoT came along, and of course now we have machine learning and all the rest. So um, I've written a few books along the way. My, my most recent one is entitled Anarchy, Inc., Profiting in a Decentralized World with Artificial Intelligence and Blockchain. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm optimistic about the future, but it's going to be a wild ride, and that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, I spend most of my time traveling around to different conferences. I probably earn you know, north of 80% of my income is speaking fees. So I spend most Mm -hmm. of my time traveling around, speaking to different industries, different parts of the world, 
about the use of data and technology to enhance business profitability. Thank you very much, Patrick. We're very, very happy to have you on the show. And uh, we were going to do a show with you a couple weeks ago. Couldn't get a rest of a panel together. So we're really happy that yeah. you stayed the course and you're joining us today. And thank you to Dana for all the communications back and forth with you. So joining Patrick, as I said, is Olaf Kexel at SAP. Olaf, you're up next. Please tell us who you are and what does this topic mean to you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. So um, I'm, I'm a solution architect, as I said already. And um, I work with customers over the last, let's say, 20, 25 years. And whatever I did, building solutions for different domains, for data warehouses, for EAI solution, for data catalogs, master data system, data was always in the center. So it was even, even 25 years ago when um, data was small, that was always the center of the activities. Where do I get where do we get clean data from? How do we get it into the system? How do you make sure that data gets on a high level, etc.? So that's why I think with big data coming up or came up almost 10 years ago, data was more and more in the center. And, and if you remember, in, in the past, it was named information because data was seen as a too technical term. Now everybody's talking data, and that makes me very excited and I'm still very happy that the data issue isn't solved yet. So we still have a way to go. And these days we have great technology to help people and companies to get better data value of, um, value of the data that they have in their companies. Thank you, Olaf. You said some such interesting things when data was called information. Do you remember when it was called information management, IMS information yeah, yeah, yeah. management? Yeah. Do you remember? I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember well at that time it was said, don't call it data, it's information, right? These days, that's big data, 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 data everywhere. That's right. And there used to be a quibble over whether it was data or datum. Was, is it the singular? Is it the plural? Do our, Is it our data is or our data our data are, are you using data as technically the plural? I was a mainframe programmer way back in the day of key punching. I, I just dated myself off the show, I think. But key punching um, in COBOL for, an, uh, for a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5 working on an information system, not a data system, Olaf, an information system for the state of Oregon Community College information systems. And that was my first job in IT. I was one of those early programmer analysts and graduated to PL1 on an IBM 4341 when we actually had a, a data editor where we didn't have to key punch anymore. Oh, I've seen it all and done it all. Thank you, Olaf, for the wonderful memories oh, of so information before data was a household word. Thank you. And now let's turn to Tom Rabbit. Tom, we'd love to know who you are. You can tell yeah. some personal stories if you want to confess Perfect. anything. So go ahead, Tom, please introduce yourself. Thanks. Thanks, Bonnie. Yes, and uh, I, I feel I feel at home here with folks that have been uh, working with COBOL and Fortran and the like, and uh, so I, I go back that far as well. So that's that's great to hear. Um, and uh, like my colleagues, I have been uh, in this business for 25 years in the analytics space, doing all sorts of roles from development to biz- uh, opening new markets, uh, sales, sales management, etc. And what I found in, in my travels and, and part of my job, like my colleagues, is visiting with customers and, and companies all over the world, is, yes, we have new technologies that are taking advantage of the incredible advances in hardware, the speed, the processing power. You know, we all know that an iPhone is exponentially more powerful than the, than the computers on the Apollo rockets, right? We're holding mm-hmm. it in our hands. But what I'm finding is that uh, we are uh, benefiting from the speed from the usability, from the, the, the volumes that we can consume and process, but we aren't addressing the underlying processes, the people-centric processes that, we, that mm-hmm. they serve. And I think that's a lost opportunity, and I think that the real opportunity we have right now with these technologies is to unleash the pent-up innovation that's in every organization that are your people. And I heard that data should be the center, or not should be, but has been the center. And I think people should be the center because that's your competitive advantage. 
for Fascinating standpoint. Thank you, Tom. We talked about this on, on our prep call when you and I met, and I said, yes, bring mm-hmm. up the people side. Very often on these shows, uh, I'll address this to Patrick and Olaf and Tom, we, we hear uh, experts and thought leaders say, uh, your company needs to do this, and you need to do that. And I stop them cold sometimes, and I say, what do you mean your company? Who? Is there a person? Whose job is it? Does it come from the top? Does it a, <laughs> is it a grassroots movement from the bottom? Uh, where does this come from? You know, we have the tools. We have the processes. We have the technology. We have the investments. But you're right. It still comes from the people you hire, the people you train, the people you incentivize. I hate that word, but I use it. And the people who make it all happen. So you're right. Very interesting point of view, Tom. Thank you so much. Thanks to the three of you for introducing yourselves. I appreciate that. Now is the part of the show, if you're new to as a listener, I ask my guests to send me a quote from a movie, a book, a song, a famous person, a not-so-famous person, somebody I can look up and find out who they are. And the quote has nothing specifically to do with the topic, but I ask my guests to be to basically tell us in their own words here on live radio what the quote has to do with the topic. So we want to hear them get a little creative, maybe a little philosophical, even poetic. So Patrick, Patrick, I'm still struggling with your last name, Schroedfeger. I think I have it right now. Patrick has sent us a quote from Mike Tyson. I don't know if there's anybody alive who hasn't heard of Mike Tyson, but just in case, let me give you a little bit of information. Michael Gerard Tyson, born in 1966, I call him a very young man, is a former professional boxer who competed from 1985 to 2005. He was the undisputed world heavyweight champion and holds the record as the youngest boxer to win a heavyweight title. He was only 20 years, four months, and 22 days old. I thought that was interesting. Look him up if you want to know more. Fascinating, fascinating. A lot of personal history there, too. Here's the quote. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Patrick, how does this relate to data strategy, please? You know, Bonnie, I think this relates to life in almost every capacity. I mean, this is the name of the game. We we have we have plans. This is our our job as as executives, as business leaders, as as you know, employees of companies or even entrepreneurs. We set out plans and we we look at things that we want to do. And I think all three of us as panelists agree that the the plan and and what you go into the data strategy with is is critically important. But the bottom line is that you get surprised along the way. And so, in my opinion, and, and this is what I speak about in all of my programs, and, and in particular, the future of work, how do we educate our children, the true assets, the true skills that are going to become just more and more important as time goes on is how do we adapt? How do we be flexible? How do we, be, how do we pivot? You know, in Silicon Valley, I lived in the Bay Area for, for 18 years. I just moved to Southern California last year. Uh, but everyone talks about how to fail fast, fail forward. And that's really what this is all about, is how do we test something and find out what we don't know. Some things will be consistent with our expectations, but other things will be completely different. And so at that point, we have to pivot and and, and adapt as quickly as possible and adjust the strategy and then keep going to the next step. So uh, I I watched Mike Tyson growing up. I had a good friend of mine who was uh, in boxing and got his silver silver gloves. So this was a part of my my teenage years, and and I'll remember this quote for the rest of my life. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let me just ask you a quick question, Patrick. I love the idea yeah. of a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So we're talking about data strategy. Do you need to have flexibility? The popular word today is agility in your strategy, in your blueprint, in your plan, because your company, as I mentioned, every industry has these upstarts who are dipping their toe in somebody else's pool, if you will, or going in their backyard fence and saying, hello, I'm here. I'm going to be part of your industry now. Get used to it. So how flexible does the strategy have to be because the industries are so fluid today? What's your quick thought on that? Well, it's, I mean, I think we have to be more flexible than ever. I mean, this is the whole, the whole point is that we have to, things always happen that we don't expect. And it could be that we think we have access to data, but once we actually collect the data and clean it up, it turns out it doesn't provide the insights we thought, or maybe the correlations we thought didn't actually include any causation. There's all of those sorts of things, or maybe even the market strategy that we were going in with. Turns out there just isn't a lot of market demand. And finally, Maybe you got all of those things right, and now you're in the market, satisfying market demand, and then someone else comes in with a with a you know a better mousetrap and disrupts the entire industry, and you're out of business all over again. So, I, I think adaptability in business today is more important than ever, and it's actually going to be much more important in five or seven or ten years than it is today. 
Thank you very much. Very interesting. Appreciate that. Olaf has sent us a quote from Mademoiselle Madame Coco Chanel. Her full name was Gabrielle Bonheur Coco Chanel, 1883 to 1971. I hope I said that with the proper panache, Olaf. I used to study French. She was a French fashion designer and a businesswoman, probably very early in that trade. She was the founder and namesake of the Chanel brand. We all have seen or heard of the Chanel suit. She was credited in the post-World War I era with liberating women from the constraints of gentlemen, I hope you're sitting down, the corseted silhouette <clears throat> and popularizing a sporty casual chic as the new feminine standard of style. And I say thank you, Coco Chanel. Here's the quote Olaf has selected from the work of Coco Chanel. Quote, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. I'm going to say amen to that. Olaf, how did you pick this quote today? Yeah, <laughs> I think... Um in today's world, or in, in, in general, the, the reason why I picked it up is um, because I'm also interested in always things that are different to what I used to know, right? So when, when, when whatever, when I started life, uh, I got bored quite quickly and I said, okay, I need to know, do something else. I need to learn something else. Here's some new things. Um, so, or, and, and in general, for, for any company, for any individual, it's, it's, it's always good to, to take a look at the other side. So don't follow the mainstream, but be different. And that what differentiates you makes you, could make you successful as well. But you're more, more happy to be, you're, you're, be more individual on that one. So, and, and the same with data strategy. Data strategy is not a new, let's say, term. So it's, it's uh, on the way already for a couple of years. But you always have to rethink on data strategy. Is that still the right data strategy? Shall we change it? Is data really relevant for us? Is the data that we are using still relevant? So always take a look and be open for changes. That, that is the uh, reason why I picked up that quote. And um, yeah, it's, it's, more, um, it's more exhausting, but um, in the end, you have more fun and hopefully be more successful. Thank you very much. Yes, follow, march to the beat of your own drummer. By the way, I started drumming 11 months ago, and I'm playing in a couple bands already. And it's, people said to your me... Your neighbors. Oh, no, actually, they said, listen, they say, when are you going to play more? But, oh, but nice. my... My friends in New York yeah. said to me, they said to me, Bonnie, your stage in life, you should be going on cruises and having, joining book clubs with the girls in the neighborhood, with the ladies, and you should be playing cards in the afternoon. What are you doing playing the drums? And I didn't have any words. I stopped talking to those friends. So what can I say? Tom Rabbit has selected a quote from Coach John Wooden, John Robert Wooden, 1910 to 2010. Oh, he lived 100 years. My mom lived 100 years as well. John Wooden was was an American basketball player and head coach of University of California in L.A. He was nicknamed the Wizard of Westwood. He won 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years as head coach at UCLA, including a record seven in a row. On and on and on. Very interesting. Here's the quote. Listen up, everyone. These are more words to live by. Be more concerned with your character than with your reputation. Your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Beautiful words, Tom Rabbit. Tell me how you picked this quote, and what does it have to do with data strategy? Well, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much it has to do with data strategy, quite <laughs> frankly, uh, but, uh, but I do think they are live, words to live by for sure. And, and uh, Coach Wooden, uh, after, becoming, after winning seven championships in a row and retired, he went on to become a motivational speaker, and write incredible books that have inspired managers and individuals around the world. And I think it's really, you know, we always talk about our brand and uh, as individuals, our personal brand. And I mm -hmm. think that's really what this relates to. You know, who are you when you put your head on the pillow at night? You know, are you the person that, uh, or, or the company or the organization or what have you, that you're presenting to the world? Or, you know, or, or are you yourself? And I, I think uh, going to what... Uh, Olaf said, be true to yourself. So I think it resonates that, uh, it reflects on that as well. It's just a different point of view, but just be yourself and, and own it. Uh, and uh, that, that's where that comes from. Thank you, Tom. And I'm thinking we could do with authenticity. We, we could do yeah, a stretch, exactly. though. Can we do a stretch about that blueprint? Listen, going back to my opening about a data strategy is a blueprint that's tailored to an organization's unique 
persona, circumstances, culture, data, maturity. Maybe uh, you need to be true to not who people think you are, but where you want your company to go. What do you stand for? We all know about millennials wanting to work for companies that mirror their values, right? So the values of a company, couldn't those come into play with when you're planning your data strategy saying, who really are we? What is our mission, but what are our values as a company? What is our reputation? Maybe we want to change that through how we use data, how we collect data, how we leverage it, how we go out into the world to stay profitable and thrive and grow and make an impact. Can we make that stretch, Tom Rabbit? Please say yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think, and I think uh, sometimes you'll look at data and say, and you can say, well, we could make more money, or we could be more profitable, but do we really want to go there? Is that the type of organization we want to be? So I think that's the that's the other side of the coin that that data doesn't always necessarily uh, reflect, uh, but I, I think that's just where your the, the character of a, a, an individual and organization comes in when when evaluating the data and making the decisions, right? Thank you. So there we go. There we go. We got it. We, we drew that circle all the way around. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> well, I think so, you did, Bonnie, but thank you. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're a partnership team. If I didn't tell you on the prep call, there are three of you on the panel, but I'm the 3.5. I'm the three and a half, the 3.5th panelist. So I'm, I'm here with you and for you. So let's circle around the panel. We want to get to know the three of you just a little bit more up close and personal. So I have three questions for you. Uh, first, we'll ask Patrick and then Olaf and then Tom, and then we'll take a break. Questions are, where in the world are you today? And please give me at least a hemisphere or a country or a region or an ocean, a lake, a forest or a, a zoo you're near or something like that. And we want to know what's your favorite drink that powers you and either relaxes you or makes you really, really smart. Patrick Schwertfeger, talk to me. Yeah, Bonnie, this is always a fun part of your program. Um, I'm calling in. I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, lived in the Bay Area for 18 years, and just last August, about a year ago now, uh, I moved down to Newport Beach, California, which is in Orange County, just south of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I've, I've lived in, in some beautiful places. Vancouver is a very, very beautiful city, and, and San Francisco is as well. But between the three, I'll take Newport Beach. <laughs> It's, it's a beautiful place to live down here. And as far as the drink goes, I was uh, I was tempted to go with tequila. Tequila's always been a personal favorite. But I thought I'd instead go a little bit more old school. I love a rusty nail. A good rusty nail with drambuie and scotch and a little lemon twist has always been a good drink on a Friday night. So that's the one I'm sticking with. I don't think we've had a rusty nail mentioned on the show, if if not ever, Patrick, for a long time. You're right. A rusty nail is made by mixing drambuie and scotch. The drink was included in yeah. Difference Guide, what, Top 100 Cocktails. It can be served in an old-fashioned glass on the rocks, neat or up in a stem glass. It is most commonly served over ice. And the garnish, standard garnish, is a lemon twist. And I have all kinds of pictures here. Related drinks, of course, are the Godfather, Rob Roy Stinger, and Sidecar. Let's just stay with the rest. Thank you, Patrick. Very interesting. I'm looking at a bunch of them now on the web. Of course, you knew I knew that information off the top of my head. You know that I didn't have to look at it just right there. Well researched. uh, Thank you very much. Quick quick on the draw here. Olaf Kexel, where are you today and what powers you in the form of a beverage, please? Yeah, I'm um, I'm calling out of Germany. I'm in the west of Germany. So if you know the Rhine River going from north to south through Germany, I'm living close to the city's Cologne in Düsseldorf. Um, So the the drink, I I thought about a drink. The Rusty Nail, I know, by the way, that's a Mm -hmm. great drink. I thought about that as well. But I have a number of drinks. I drink all kind of alcohol and non-alcoholic drinks. But... um, the one drink I'm currently like most is White Russian, um, mm. because White Russian always reminds me about the big Lebowski movie with Jeff Bridges from the Coen Brothers, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a cool it's a cool drink from some cool guys who made a cool film about a crazy guy. I tell <laughs> so that. Right, Russian. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you very <laughs> much. Divide. We we love this part of the show because we get Patrick, to know I, all of you. We get to have us. A smile and a laugh. Tom Rabbit, what part of the world are you in today, and what's your favorite drink? we got a couple of good ones. No competition, yeah. Tom. Just be honest what no, you love no, to no. drink. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I'm in uh, – I actually, I've just moved into my new apartment in downtown Miami this morning. I arrived this morning from Manhattan. The movers are arriving tomorrow. So I am in downtown oh Brickell, Miami, uh, in a 54th, 54th floor apartment. 
overlooking Biscayne Bay, which is a beautiful Congratula- view. Wait a minute, so, wait a minute. Tom, what, what brought you from New York to Miami? That's a, that's a leap, yeah. leap of faith and everything. So what got you down there? Yeah. Well, you know, New York's pretty expensive. <laughs> Manhattan's expensive and Miami's quite a bit cheaper and more affordable. So you get a lot more for your money in, in Miami than you do in Manhattan as, uh, Anyone that's looked at Manhattan real estate prices over the last decade or 20 years knows. But, uh, yeah, it's just getting a little out of control up there for for most folks. So so I'm down here in, in Miami. We'll give it a test drive for a year or so, and, and Manhattan's not going anywhere, right? You can always go. <laughs> As last we checked. <laughs> go back. What do you love to yep, drink? You can always go so, you know, uh, Olaf mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Big Lebowski and a white Russian. Well, I drink a vodka on the rocks just to cut out the middleman and make the calories count, right? <laughs> so no Kahlua, no milk, lock on the rocks, a lime, keep it simple, um, and uh, there you go. It's, uh, it, it's an funny. efficient drink, let's put it that way. And and I've never heard drink. of a cocktail described as efficient, but I appreciate that. Well, for anybody who doesn't know me, Bonnie D. Graham, I moved here two years and two weeks ago, actually two years and one week ago, uh, to Durham, North Carolina, where it's a beautiful sunny day. We finally broke the summer. I've never had a summer like this. We averaged about 101 degrees almost every day for the past two and a half months, and now we're down to a balmy 89 in the afternoons. The garden is screaming, water me, water me. I don't have an under ground sprinkling system like a lot of my neighbors because the taxes on that are unbelievable. So anyway, um, and I want to tell you, Tom, that I was in Lo- on Long Island in Great Neck, and that's the North Shore, also known as part of the Gold Coast. Uh, and it's not a cheap place to live, but I was there in a, a co-op apartment for uh, 32 years. I moved in and thought, well, I'll stay here a little while, 32 years later. And yes, not a cheap place to live, but certainly close enough to Manhattan. We were direct train on Long Island Express, Long Island Railroad direct to Penn Station. We didn't have to go through Jamaica. You probably know all this already. So I said bye-bye to Long Island, and here I am in Durham, and uh, still getting used to living in the South, but the, the heat has been really, really tough. I'm not allowed to drink well. We're not talking about cocktails yet, because it's only 2.30 in the afternoon, but I'm not allowed to drink anything with caffeine on radio show days, gentlemen, uh, and you probably figured out why. This is my second live show today. I did two live shows yesterday, so I'm relegated to just water Talk about an efficient drink, Tom. It doesn't get more efficient than water out of the ice maker in the cold water spout on the new refrigerator. And I've never spent that kind of money on a refrigerator in my life. So we'll leave that one alone. If you're just tuning in, we're having a very congenial conversation here. This is one of our very, very most popular series called Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. We appreciate our audience listening all around the world. More countries than I can spell than I can count. We just are so glad that you're finding this content interesting. And again, a shout out to Dana Court at SAP for putting together this wonderful panel. We're speaking with Patrick Schwerdfeger at Trend Mastery, Olaf Kexel at SAP, and Tom Rabbit. He spells that with two B's and two T's, also at SAP. Topic is very important. Your digital transformation, lessons from giants and upstarts. And that's a big topic. So we're talking specifically about data strategy. How do you get one? How do you form one? How do you figure out your mission, your values? What data do you want to collect? How do you want to clean it, extract actionable insights from it? What are you going to do with it? Where is your company going? What do you want to become? It's a tall order. We have our three panels exploring this, giving us a lot of insights. We're going to take a quick 90-second break. I think everybody needs a quick pause that refreshes. And when we come back, Patrick and I will kick off the roundtable with one of the comments he sent me before the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill by now. Aaron out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. And here we are. We're back. Bonnie D. Graham in the house at Internet of Things with Game Changers with Patrick Schwertfeger at Trend Mastery, Olaf Kexel, and Tom Rabbit at SAP talking about data strategy. It's a big topic. So much to talk about. And now we're going to see what Patrick has to say as we kick off the formal roundtable segment of the show. Patrick told me the following before the show. He says, identifying new revenue opportunities in adjacent markets, and he put quotes around adjacent markets, is a great first step to guide the development of a data-driven strategy. Patrick, please unpack this for us, then we'll get Olaf and Tom to chime in. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. So it's, it's actually a, a direct uh, extension of what we spoke about earlier on with uh, the need to, to plan and also the need to, to be flexible afterwards. So uh, the, the quotations around adjacent markets to me is just because it's a, it's a phrase that maybe isn't used that, that often. But to me, you know, you could think about an adjacent market if you're working for a company. Think about one of your largest suppliers. Who else do they sell to? That's probably an adjacent market. Or think about who's your biggest customer. Who else do they buy from? That's an adjacent market. So, and I do these strategy sessions with executive teams uh, regularly. And, and within 20 or 30 minutes, you can put together a list of, of 20 or 30 adjacent markets. And, and then the, 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 you know, the next step is, frankly, to go through that list and, and write down what you think all of those different industries are doing wrong. And immediately you have uh, a whole list of opportunities. And the reason for bringing it up in this discussion mm-hmm. is because, as was said by, by both of my colleagues on the, on, the, on the call earlier on, you have to have a plan. You definitely have to have something in mind. You can't just go into data without anything in mind. There has to be a reason and something that you're looking for. Uh, and, and the objective of having some sort of a profitable business opportunity is always going to be the driving force. And you should do that first. You have an idea, okay, we think there's an opportunity here, but we see a market, it's not functioning very well, we think we can do better, we think we have the right data to be that player. Like think, for example, who's your worst supplier? Mm-hmm. Can you bring that in-house? Can you do that yourself? Uh, Tesla right now is, is, is starting to manufacture their own batteries rather than using Panasonic. Why? Because they believe they can do it better. So they, there's, there's a perceived opportunity uh, in an adjacent market, that gives you a starting point to say, okay, let's look at the data. Let's see if we can find data and resources and circumstances that will allow us to cater to that market segment better than who's doing it now, or maybe nobody's doing it now, and then go in that direction. Now, having said that, and I'll close with this, we mm-hmm. have to be ready to pivot and adjust and, and, and you know be adaptable throughout that process because inevitably it's going to be different than we expect. We have to be flexible along the way but we have to go in with a plan. Thank you very much, Patrick. Great insights there. Very practical tips. That's what we want to give our listeners. Olaf Kexel, love to get your POV on what Patrick just shared. Agree or disagree or expand it? Yeah, I disagree. I I know I disagree. (laughs) I agree on that one. Um, And I I maybe add something with regards to uh, the data view. In in, in many cases, the customers that I've met or um, that, that they are around in the market they have data, data, let's say, dormant sitting somewhere in their environment, and they have no clue that they can open up new business with using that data. For example, on the Internet of Things, for a car manufacturer or for a car seller like, like a Mercedes BMW, they generate so much data in their cars, and that data is available, but they don't use that data. Mm-hmm. So that would be one of these markets where they could use that data and um, define new market opportunities, new, new digital products, data products, and then that would be the foundation to develop a data strategy around it. So that's, that's my interpretation of that line from you, Patrick. 
Thank you very much. Tom Rabbit, please join us. Thoughts on what Patrick shared and or what Olaf agreed to? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, in, in tune with Patrick, you know, every customer I meet with, they want profitable growth, right? That's why mm-hmm. everyone's in business, right? You want profitable growth. I don't know a single company that says we want to be number three in the market, et cetera. <laughs> and I think uh, what Patrick is alluding to is something that I touched on at the beginning, which is about people and the pent-up innovation within your organization, right? So uh, he's talking to executive teams, and that's fantastic. But then there's always the HIPPO. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that HIPPO acronym, the highest paid person's yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that isn't always the right opinion. And I believe that with the technology we have today, we could begin to unleash the pent-up innovation that's within your organization uh, at all levels. And we just should be using going beyond data and begin to look into that because that's where your competitive advantage lies. So, uh, yeah. Thank you, Tom. I love the hippo. I hadn't seen that, and I saw it in your notes. H-I-P-P-O. It's not HIPAA from from the insurance regulations or the privacy in, in medicine. This is H-I-P-P-O, highest paid person's opinion. I love it. Thank you. Something we can toss around here. Patrick, I'm going to move on to something from Olaf in the interest of time. Olaf, let's get really, really practical here, down into tactical. You sent me the following, and I think everybody needs to hear this. You say a data strategy needs an owner and a home. Is it the business units? Is it the IT organization? No. A data governance organization is the owner of the data strategy and defines, the pro- defines processes and IT demands to fulfill the strategy that should deliver value for the company. I, could, I don't, couldn't imagine having it all in one sentence any better than this, Olaf. This was beautiful. Can you expand for us, please, on owner and home and the balance yeah. between business units and IT? Yes, because um, in the in the past it was it was always the the IT is is hosting the data, so they have control of the data, and the business is generating the data. They are manipulating the data, and typically from the past, business was always saying, "Hey, the data that we have that has not the great quality, we need to improve this, etc." Um, who's responsible is the IT, and then I met IT, and they said, "Okay, yes, we have the applications." We have the IT infrastructure and everything. We are hosting the data, but we are not the owner. It's them, right? So it's basically a finger pointing and introducing ideas mainly to um, the IT organizations that I met. told them, this is what you could do. This is how you can set up um, an organization around. This is what you need to improve on your processes. This would be IT to help you on, um, let's say, making a data strategy, putting that into practice. IT said, okay, but that is not us being responsible. So who is it? Is that business? Uh, is that CRM? Is it procurement or finance? No, it's something in the middle. It's a chief data officer, some, some organization around that one. The chief data officer, he's owning the data strategy, and he makes sure that it gets into practice. And that, at least for the companies I met, so 80% of them had no clue about that role. They have maybe a digital officer, but they don't have a data officer. So um, that is still something that I hope is going to change over the next couple of years. Thank you. Very provocative. Tom Rabbit, agree or disagree with what Olaf just shared? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's an interesting concept. I guess I have, a, in my experience, you know, the IT is kind of the plumbers, right? And they make sure everything's running, but the data is actually kind of owned and parsed out by finance, right? You know, someone in finance will say, you can see this data or you can't, that's necessarily IT. And I guess the question for Olaf, where would that, is that an independent role or is that someone that would report to the CFO, which in many countries has the, the liability and the regulatory uh, responsibility for data? Um, just as a follow-up, I'm curious. because it's, it's Yeah, yeah the, the, the data... The, you're right. The data owner is in the business, but the uh, data officer, chief data officer, he makes sure that the entire processes, the strategy is in place, that everybody's following on that strategy, on the processes. The data ownership, that's right, that is in the business. But making sure that the business is using the data in the right way, manipulating it in the right way, having access to the right data, that is achieved by the chief data officer. So he's the owner of the strategy. He's not the owner of the data itself. 
Got it. Well, we should delete Excel from everyone's notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, was that you talking? That was you, Tom that Rabbit? That was me. Yes, that was me. Yes. Okay. I want to go around. I'm trying to keep track here. Patrick, I want you to join us. What do you think about this concept of what is the owner in the home for a proper data strategy? What's your POV? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I agree with, with the comments so far, but I think this all depends on, you know, how big is the company we're talking about? Are they already in the midst of a data strategy or are they yet to begin a data strategy? Uh, certainly for a large company that already has an established data strategy, to bring on a, a C-level executive that's in charge and has authority uh, is very important, and you need to have that. And then the question is, where do you find that person? And obviously you could go outside the organization, but you could also – come from within. And there's a lot of people in the organization that are familiar with, with data, as, as Tom mentioned, in the finance department, the quality people, you know, the, all the people to do with quality and internal audit is another area. And there may be someone in IT. There might even be someone in marketing that needs to be on the team. So my, my biggest advice with companies is that if they're willing to put an investment into a data strategy, they should really try to get a cross-functional team that has people in different roles because it's naive to assume that a software engineer with 20 years experience in the IT department is going to come up with a business strategy uh, and vice versa. The, you know, people who are in marketing who only uh, do, you know, how do you get a product to market or a, a service to market, that person's not going to be as good at understanding the data. So you have to have a team. And the last thing I'll say is that if the company is smaller or just getting going, you might want to start by just pulling a few of those people and not changing their job titles, but having, mm-hmm. you know, a Skunk Works uh, kind of project on the side where they can get together and talk about strategy and try and try and nail out the basics of a strategy. And once you look at that strategy and the, and the market implications and the, the possible upside, then you can invest in, in getting some people in a more structured, uh, more structured department to own it. Thank you very much. Good around the table, Olaf. Thanks for that. Hey, Tom hey, Rabbit, Bonnie, we have can time. I, can I offer? Yeah. Bonnie, sure. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to interrupt the uh, or, or the flow or anything. No, I, that's fine. I just considered something in regard to what Olaf, Olaf said. May, may I just add yes. something? Yes, surely. Go ahead. Cool. Thanks, thanks. So, you know, I think a real challenge around overall data strategies is the ability for IT to meet the demands of the business in a, in a quick enough fashion, right? Uh, business can't wait for access to certain data, whether it's in a data warehouse, it's an all-in-one spot. So that's where Excel comes in, right? Excel is the biggest database in the world. It's not IBM or Oracle or, or SAP or Microsoft. I think it's Excel. And I think that's the real challenge to a data strategy is the inability of IT, finance, whatever it happens to be, to meet the needs of the business. So they just they go rogue because they have no choice and they can't wait they can't wait weeks or months to get access to data or for something to be put online and, and brought online. So I think that's the fundamental challenge that we have. Uh, I don't know if you gentlemen agree or not. but Well, let's go around the table and ask. Olaf first and then Patrick. What do you think, Olaf? Agree or disagree with Tom? Um, I think IT, IT had the um, – what IT did in the past was they set up big – let's say, data management environment. So that's what they say. Here's a data management environment. Here's, we have the IT infrastructure. We put up Hadoop clusters, etc. in place. Now you can work with the data. But nobody was really focusing on the data itself. What kind of data? Who has access to the data? What kind of data quality do we want to achieve, etc.? So what we have seen over the last 10 years with big data, the value is the value that came out of all the big data initiative is very poor, I would say, for the business. The reason why? Because the IT was never and should not responsible for the data on these big data warehouse clusters. There should be someone on the business side and driven by a data chief data officer. So mm. that's, that's, that's why um, if IT is driving data projects, they probably fail because they are, they are they're missing the link to the data content itself. That's not only IT, I think. Let's see what Patrick has yeah, to and say. That, and that, that goes back to the, the cross-functional team that I mentioned earlier, be precisely yeah. Yeah. for that reason. And, and I, I do agree in principle with the statement, but um, 
you know, we have more data than we've ever had before. And, and I, I was mm-hmm. studying the, the ROI of, of big data initiatives in the Fortune 100 back in 2012 when it was really kind of gaining steam. And at one point, I saw a survey that said that the average Fortune 100 company that's investing in a big data initiative was getting an ROI, a return on investment, of negative 45%. So they were losing money on average back then. And I think when you have such enormous quantities of data, the data in itself doesn't have value. You have to understand what to look for in that data. And there's a lot of use cases now that are slowly starting to emerge of okay, we can look for these sorts of things and find value, or we can maybe sell the data to another user, which, you know, there was a case history of a, of a company that had a traffic app uh, and, and ended up selling their data to financial analysts that were doing quarterly earnings calls on retailers because you could tell from the traffic patterns which shopping malls were more popular. So you could correlate knowing which shops are inside that mall that those shops are probably doing better than others. So you know, it was a different use of the data. And it, it's it's naive to assume that it's someone who's just done statistics their whole life or software engineering or whatever it is, data management, for them to see those business opportunities, you have to have a different perspective to say, look, there's an opportunity here, let's dig further. Or maybe there's not an opportunity here, let's leave it alone. Interesting. Who was that just speaking? I want to make sure I know. Was that, who was that? Ma'am, I'm sorry. It was Patrick. I apologize. I Patrick, okay. I want to make sure we got you in on that. I'm trying to. So I jumped in. That's <laughs> fine. I I wanted you to come in there. I appreciate that. I want to go. We have just a little bit of time, about two minutes till Patrick. I'm going to come back to you for the crystal ball predictions round to start us off. But I want want to pick on one more topic from Tom. You had something called the special sauce. It was your last note you sent me, and you may have covered this, but I, I think it needs to be driven home. You say if the data or process it supports does not drive profitable growth. Growth, get rid of it. How important is this, Tom? It sounds like it's it's a major um, change of pace for a lot of companies. Oh, we got data, we got all this data, we got to do something with it. Yeah, we'll find something to do with it. And you're saying throw it out if it's no good. Is, is this something that companies yeah. understand? Who needs to give permission yeah. to do this? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, we, we, again, the technology that's coming out today is incredible based on the hardware and we, you know, better usability, speed, performance, volumes, all those things. Um, but we, what we aren't addressing are the underlying processes that they serve and the people that, and the business that those processes are meant to serve. We're still doing the, our budgets, plans, forecasts, all these different things the same way that GE devised them in the 1950s, right? And the way McKinsey dis- defined a budget in the 20s. So we're doing a lift and shift of the processes onto new technologies without you know, we're upgrading the code block and we're doing all those fun things on the technology side and the user experience, yes. But we aren't saying, hey, society has changed, business has changed, it's much more fast, we have to be much more nimble, as Patrick was saying earlier, we have to be agile and pivot and do all these things. And if we're not addressing the processes themselves, what are we doing, right? We should be looking at that. I think that as a huge, at a certain point, you know, if your data is goes from 98% accurate to 99%, that incremental value there probably isn't as much as you could gain from changing the underlying processes. And when I meet with companies, you know, I always ask them, well, why do you do it that way? And we all know the answer. Well, we've always done it that way, right? Uh, you know, nine out of 10 times. And they don't know why, but they just continue to do it. So I think that's a huge opportunity for companies. And I think, you know, we talk about getting people engaged, uh, mm-hmm. driving, you know, uh, getting people involved in the company, having them have more passion for the organization. And I think if you expose the ability to, to share ideas uh, and change the processes versus this command and control approach, I think it's a, it's a game changer, you know, and I don't think we're spending enough time on that. Uh, and I, when I speak to CFOs and, and CEOs around the world, you know, they're intrigued. Uh, they're scared by it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the adopt the adoption is, is you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take baby steps. But uh, but I, they, they find it to be a very intriguing uh, approach. Thank you very much. And I'm intrigued that we're already deep into our predictions round and we need to get Patrick Schwertfeger to start us off. Patrick, 60 seconds. That's all I've got. I have a feeling Tom might have already given us his prediction. So, Tom, hang tight. See if we have enough time. Patrick, 60 seconds. What do you see coming down the road, up the pike, whatever direction you are traveling on data strategy between now and 2025? Patrick, go ahead. 
Yeah, I'm going to just uh, touch briefly on, on one of the most uh, interesting uses of data recently, which is moving quickly, and that's the, the uh, autonomous driving in cars. There's an interesting convergence. And number one, we just had our recently, actually it was in Germany, in a parking lot. That was the first level four autonomous driving regulatory approval. And there's more coming. And I think we'll have level five uh, probably by 2023. But at the same time, uh, electric cars are going to be literally cheaper than gasoline cars by 2021. Uh, so the convergence of those two, autonomous cars and electric vehicles, we will have electric transport as a service by 2023. Less, less traffic or less parking, more traffic. Thank you very much. I like that a lot. I'm not giving up my keys anytime soon. Love my sports cars. Olaf Kexel, SAP, 60 seconds. What's your prediction, sir? Oh, yes, I think by, let's say, 2025, there will be clearly um, at a stage, we will be at a stage where every company understands the value of data, where maybe today just 20% will really get it. Got it, and um, by in in the next couple of years, it will grow at least up to eighty percent. Roles like a chief data officer will be well established. Every company, doesn't matter which size, understands how to get value out of data. The contrast to that is data fraud, data crime will increase as well. So that has to be mm-hmm. data security is a very important topic that needs to be addressed in parallel. So that is how I think um, the way forward will go. Thank you very much. Appreciate the way forward. Tom Rabbit, exactly 60 seconds. That's it. All yours. You, you got it. So I think uh, in, the, in the planning and budgeting and forecasting side where companies have discretionary funding and spend, that's the, where you're going to place the bets to grow your business, right? I think crowdfunding within organizations for projects and initiatives will grow. I think it's the way to go. It won't be that centralized command and control any longer, it's going to evolve from that into more of a crowdfunding approach for, for initiatives and discretionary spend to, to place your big bets on how you're going to grow your company. Thank you very much, gentlemen. What a pleasure speaking with all three of you. Dana Corder, again, thank you. She's been tweeting and retweeting, and the only one I see on Twitter here is Patrick, so I hope you'll go and retweet some of the hashtag SAP tweets I've been doing during the show. Love to have you do that. Thank you all for your time and your energy. Dana, thanks for putting together a wonderful panel, and thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio. Here we are. So let's do our final say. I want to say thank you for everyone for listening. And here's the call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Patrick Schwertfeger at Trends Mastery. Just like Olaf Kexel at SAP. And just like Tom Rabbit at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk again soon. Go out and be a game changer. Right now, that's an order. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO.